Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. I'm here today with Kim Renfro to talk about succession. Kim, thanks for chatting with me today. Heck yeah. Nowhere else I'd rather be on a Sunday night. Now, I do want to say that as we're recording this and broadcasting this live right now at youtube.com slash decoding TV, my neighbor decided to choose this exact moment to <laughs> pressure wash the walkway outside of his house. So if you hear some weird sounds, uh, that's why. Also, my neighbor is much larger than me and um, <laughs> more strong, like stronger, and uh, therefore I do not want to question his wisdom in pressure washing his house uh so that's what if you hear any noise in the background that's what's going on and deepest apologies um those who have followed my work for a long time know that this uh any like bad sound quality is unacceptable so hopefully you'll you'll accept this temporary uh you know lapse in my uh in my potential sound quality all that to say that today on decoding tv what we're going to be doing is reflecting back on Succession, the legacy of the show, and specifically answering a bunch of the biggest unanswered questions um, that have come up uh, since the show ended. There have been a lot of interviews that have been given by Mark Milet, who directed the series finale, Jeremy Strong. People have written tons about the show, and um, we reacted to the finale live. And I, I just think, you know, when you react to finale live, there's a lot of energy and excitement, but also... A lot of stuff you don't get to. You don't get a chance for that stuff to marinate, to think about it. And so uh, we wanted to record at least one other bonus episode um, to kind of talk about all the stuff that's come out in the time since the finale ended. So, uh, again, you can find more episodes of the show at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. And find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at Decoding TV. Of course, you can also support this podcast if you like it and wish it to continue at DecodingTV.com. And we are so grateful for all of our paid Decoding TV subscribers who make this podcast possible. Uh, I do also want to call out that you might be asking, hey, Succession's over. What else are you going to be covering in the future? Uh, and again, subscribe at podcast.decodingtv.com. We'll be covering... Uh, a variety of shows in both uh, this week in streaming format as well as in a weekly recap format like we've we've been doing for Succession. But you can look forward to coverage of shows such as Black Mirror, The Bear, and Silo in the weeks ahead. Still working out uh, whether we can do Secret Invasion on Disney+, Plus. still putting that together. But um, keep it tuned into Decoding TV. Keep subscribing. And in the next week or two, uh, there's going to be, you know, the goal is at least one new episode a week. Uh, next week's episode might come a little bit later because Black Mirror is releasing, I think, on June 15th. So be a little bit patient. We're going to take a little tiny bit of break between now and when the next episode comes out, but um, Decoding TV will continue. Uh, so be sure to tune in for our coverage of Black Mirror, The Bear, Silo, and much more. Again, subscribe at podcast.decodingtv.com or if you're watching right now on YouTube, keep it subscribed here to youtube.com slash decodingtv. All right. Uh, we are going to start with some of the biggest questions that people had in the wake of the finale. And then move into a bunch of other observations and a bunch of other topics, uh, respond to emails, respond to comments. Um, so it's basically going to start a little bit more structured, and then it's going to devolve into just kind of random 
talking about whatever comes to our mind. Okay, so let's begin. Let us start by talking about what I think is one of the biggest topics that that has come up in the last week, and that is why did Shiv Roy? Uh, and I should point out, of course. This podcast will contain spoilers for every yeah. episode of Succession. So we're going we're gonna to spoil everything, so do not watch if you have not fully caught up with Succession. So the first question is, why did Shivroy change her mind at the board meeting? Right? Like, why did Shivroy change her mind at the board meeting? What was behind that? And, uh, and, and I think that... Uh, it is not something that has like an ex- in my opinion it is not something that has a super satisfying explicit explanation in the episode yeah. um, she she says things she she says things while she 's talking to Kendall about like here 's why it 's because you 're not ready you killed someone i don 't like you i don 't think you 're good for it you know like she says a bunch of things yeah. but like none of that explicitly felt particularly satisfying to people. And so I think for a lot of people, they're like, oh, it made no sense. Why would Shiv Roy change your mind at the last minute? Like, that's I saw a lot of chatter like that. So mm-hmm. I wanted to read um, a bit from Alan Seppenwall's Substack, uh, which you can find at alanseppenwall.substack.com. Obviously, Alan's one of the greatest TV recappers and reviewers of all time. And uh, he had some thoughts on this topic that I wanted to share. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this on screen. Um, so you can see it on screen, and I'm going to read it at the same time. So Alan Sepinwall writes about his recap of the finale. He says, in the rush to recap the finale, quote, the main thing I feel I didn't get to was Shiv's motivation for leaving the vote and then for siding with Tom against her brothers. Mm-hmm. I think a few things were happening there. First, while it was easy to agree to another Roy sibling team up while she and Kendall and Roman were all down in the Caribbean, the reality of seeing Kendall sitting at her, their father's desk, trash talking with Stewie, and generally being his most arrogant and insufferable self served as a warning that he would probably shut her out of things once he officially had the throne. So that gave her pause right there. Along with her residual feelings for Tom and her recognition that she could certainly influence Tom more than she ever could do the same with Kendall. But even then, mm-hmm. I don't think she knew for sure what was going to do, what she was going to do when she exited the big conference room and headed over to the small one. She tells Kendall and Roman to leave her alone, but Kendall just can't stop himself from following her. And in that incredible five-minute scene, he makes every wrong choice a person could possibly make under those circumstances, <laughs> confirming Shiv's worst fears about him and pushing her to vote for the deal. It all tracked for me, even though I know a lot of people had questions on Sunday night. So that's a great explanation, and we, we definitely touched upon some of those explanations in our yeah. podcast review. But uh, Kim, I- I'm wondering if you can react to that. I have some thoughts on Seppenwall's thoughts, but wh- why don't you go ahead? What did you think about Shiv Roy's big turn? Yeah, I definitely, I was in the same boat of the first run through being a little bit confused or just feeling like it was very nebulous why everything was unfolding the way that it was unfolding. But there were some little like body language cues, especially on a second watch that I picked up on. And I agree with like what Alan pointed out there and that I believe I saw others point out, which is like Shiv seeing Kendall already acting like he's won the crown and like especially his banter with Stewie in like the sort of pre-meeting might have started like setting into motions her like, oh, right, this is what this is the reality of what it's actually going to be like to have Kendall in charge of the company. And that might have given her pause. And then. I think I mentioned this when we were talking and I, I'm holding to it after my second watch that I think that she seemed a little bit surprised by the Sandys voting yes. 
And then Roman's like entire posturing and body language in his no was very like, he looked uncomfortable and like he didn't really want to be saying no, but he was saying no. And it was because Kendall was like pressuring him to say it. And I think that that was a big part of like why Shiv got up and was like, okay, I need to think for a second. And then yes, totally agree with Alan that I think she needed a second. And instead of de-escalating that or reassuring her in that moment, Kendall made every single wrong move. And like, we just saw so many layers of why things continue to go south. And like, from there, I don't know, I, I, I bought into it as to like why they were falling apart in that moment. What do you think? Uh, absolutely. And I, I think that's right, that she maybe hadn't fully made the decision when she went into the conference room, but then like Kendall misplays it so badly that it, it tips her over the edge. Uh, but I, I don't think all, all that stuff we said, I think it's in the show. I think it's a pretty, it's not that big of a leap to get to it, but yeah. I don't think it's like super explicitly not laid ex- out. Yeah. And, 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 but that's okay. That's okay. I think, um, but I, I do think, like, I did see a lot of confusion around it. And it reminded me a little bit of, this is an extremely different situation. But um, the Sopranos finale, like, there was one of the most legendary finales of all time. A uh, lot of confusion around that as well. Now, that w- that one was purposely designed to create confusion. It was purposely designed to leave you with a really weird feeling. And I don't think that this one was supposed to leave you feeling that way. I think... This one yeah. was supposed to make you feel like, oh, I understand why Shivroy made that decision. Um, but yeah, um, it, 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 it tracks for me. And I think a lot of people have pointed out to that, that Kendall Stewie scene and Shiv's body language in that scene, right? Like mm-hmm. her, how she reacts when he's in the chair. Like go back, look at that scene. How does she react when he gets in the chair? How does she react when he's BSing around? If you look at her reactions, you can kind of see her growing discomfort. But it's subtle. It's subtle. Yeah. It's not like uh, – yeah. Totally laid out, yeah. laid out for you. And yeah. in the same way that Jeremy Strong's performance in those scenes has a really incredible subtlety to it too, because he goes through every iteration of Kendall trying to be expressive without an honesty that he does seem to have when it's just him and the siblings. And he he doesn't feel like he has to be like putting on the show of I'm just as good as my dad or like, yes, I am the eldest boy. Like... <laughs> I that has been my favorite gif this week is Kendall screaming I am the eldest boy and Shiv's just like physical like laugh at how like off the rails things have gotten so quickly was just like yeah this was a point of no return for sure also I think that another point that maybe people haven't like needled into specifically is the way that Kendall one of the things that he did that was a huge mistake in my point was went from like, I don't understand what's happening. And instead of trying to understand what Shiv was actually thinking and feeling or worried about, he jumped straight to you're crazy. Like this is, this is crazy. This is illogical. And like went straight for like attacking her like mental well being, which I'm sure for her was just like, yeah, absolutely not. Like, I'm not going to let you pull the like, you're a hysterical woman card on me in this incredibly important moment in our lives one of the other details of the big meltdown scene too was uh re-watching it i think the moment when roman changes his mind is when uh is when kendall lies about lying yes. about the waiter right like totally. i think that he is roman is initially like oh it could go either way but then at some point 
uh, Kendall says, I, I made the kid up. Uh, and, and then that's when Roman really just loses the rest of his faith that, like, this is a good idea at all. And yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I clocked that totally because Roman sees the Shiv and Kendall dynamic getting out of control. And his first instinct is to be like, can we just go to the vote? Like, I think he recognizes first that Shiv is probably going to vote no. And he just wants this over and done with. But neither Shiv or Kendall take him up on that. And they dig in. And that's when Shiv brings up the like, you killed somebody. And you can kind of see, I feel like you can see, again, the acting and everybody's reactions to each other is so good in this show but like you can see roman kind of be like oh no now we went down that route but as soon as you're exactly right that as soon as kendall tries to deny it ever happening that's when roman's like no way man like no way i'm like he's probably about to go in there and rescind his vote at that point like so yeah yeah. i don't have the exact quote but i remember i think mark mila the director talking about how kendall lying about that was such a betrayal because that was like a core memory for the three siblings. And for Kendall to just lie about it was really swung Roman to the other side. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and that's not Roman's journey in that scene. is not something I really um, not picked up on. I obviously picked up that he was getting less and less into Kendall's story over time, but, but it's more like I didn't track the nuances the first time I watched it of Roman's yeah. journey in that big yeah. for, boardroom fight scene. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Totally. So, that is those are some thoughts on Shiv's big decision and why she changed her mind. Uh again, I think Kim and I both think it's it's in the text, it's there, it's accessible. Um, but I understand why people didn't think it was completely obvious why that happened. And and I think it left people with a confusion that was not intended. You know, I don't think hmm. I don't think you're supposed to think at the end, why did Shiv do that? That doesn't make any sense. I don't think you're supposed to feel that way as a viewer. Um but so I think it was a little bit too subtle, but uh, uh, given the reaction to it. But that said, it's it's obviously not something Kim and I really complained about on the night that we watched it. So, yeah. Um, Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Anyway, so let's talk about one of the other things that uh, happened in the finale that came up uh, in the discussion about the finale, which is the big hug between um, Kendall and Roman. So there's a moment before they get into the board meeting where they're uh, they're about to go and, and Roman's like really kind of 
not sure if he's going to go in there. He's trying to figure out what to do. And uh, they, the brothers embrace. And there was a lot of debate about what is going on there. Like, is Kendall pulling Roman in? Is Roman pulling Kendall in? Is Why are they doing it that way? And we tried to speculate on why that was the case during our conversation last week. Um, but... Uh, the director, Mark Milad, gave an, he gave like multiple interviews to different places, Vulture, Variety, and so on. Um, and here is something that Mark Milad said. Um, so the question is asked, I think this is in Variety. How do you read the violent hug between Kendall and Roman before the board meeting, and what was it like to shoot? And Mark Milad says, it's such a brutal love story. The dynamic between the brothers is so complex. We didn't even talk about what it meant. We specifically avoided it. And we tend to do that a lot with the most complex choices of the characters. We set it up carefully with the blood work and the practical elements. To me, and this is just my subjective opinion, the hug is a relief. It's a loving gesture. It's a brutal and self-serving loving gesture. But nonetheless, I think it is a gift that Kendall is giving to Roman to give him the out that he unconsciously craves. The awful sadomasochism of the moment is that what starts as a hug is a trap. Once, Ken, once Roman realizes what Kendall is doing, that this hug is actually to tear those stitches apart. The nihilism that we saw from Roman at the end of episode 9 going into that crowd is another expression of it. He deserves that pain, but that pain is also a relief from the responsibility of his destiny to be the CEO. So there's a very complex dynamic there, and I love it for that. So, end quote. So that's Mark Myla talking about his interpretation of the Kendall-Roman hug. Kim Renfro, uh, what, what did you think? What's your reaction to that? I feel like it partially overlapped with what my read, what with what my first so, yeah. read on this scene had been yeah. of like that, um, it being, where did he say, Kendall is giving Roman to give him the out he unconsciously craves. Like that was kind of what I had been trying to get at when we were first talking about it after. Right. I, the I thought it would be like literally an out, like he'd be so injured he couldn't even be at the board meeting, you know, but then he shows up and then, you know, that, right. that was not right. Yeah. And the thing that I didn't quite clock the first time that I do think adds to this is that it seems so triggered by him seeing Jerry, like that the shift in Roman's like confidence that morning before and after he knows that Jerry's there and is therefore going to see him have to follow through with this plan. Um, and plus paired with the fact that it was that the martini is Jerry's drink at the end of the episode, which I hadn't registered until I think someone commented on the decoding TV page pointing that out or on our live stream. But so I like I think that it I'm I'm still kind of in the camp of like he felt like he looked too cleaned up on the outside compared to how he felt or compared to how he wanted Jerry to perceive him in that moment of like he, his dynamic with Jerry was always very like, Oh, I'm the pathetic weak one. And you're the strong woman who's like in charge here. And I think like, he felt like I don't look pathetic enough right now to let Jerry see me lose this badly. Like, in a, I know that's so weird and twisted, but in the way that like only like the Roman Jerry, painful like sadomasochism thing was playing out i don't know what are your thoughts yeah although i don't know like i think they went in there thinking they would win though so i don't know that they would you know what i'm saying like i don't know that they thought they're gonna lose at the board right game. sorry no but you're right but that he's not the one being chosen that i see i see that ah, he's yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Like, right, because that was mm-hmm, that was the mm-hmm. only explicit thing we were getting from either of them out of that scene was Roman saying, like, why can't it be me? Like, people are going to wonder why it isn't me. Wait, why is it me? Like that, the fact that that's what they were like verbally fixated on. But yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts? What did you think when you read that expl- when you read that explanation? Did it like click with you? Were you yeah, like, oh, well, yeah. It, it's fascinating. I mean, it's a couple, a couple things. First of all, I think uh, – I believe in the death of the author, and so what that means is that just because the director said, I intended it to be about penis envy or whatever, like it doesn't mean that that's my interpretation. Um, uh, so that's just let's just start with that. But also uh-huh. I find it interesting that Mark Milad's basically like, hey, I don't – we don't yeah. even talk about what the interpretation. We don't even we talk about what it means. We just avoided it. We just, we just, you know, we do it and then see what happens, kind of to some degree. And uh, so he doesn't even have a canonical interpretation of what's going on. Um, but yeah, I think that you know, in reflecting back on the scene, the the thing that like, uh, you, you know. I do think it's something that Kendall is doing to Roman, and I think Roman is resisting it while realizing that it is a mercy that Kendall is providing. Like it's a it's a thing like, um, it's a catharsis. Yeah, it's like this. It's it, it's a it's a gift from Kendall, but it's like this unpleasant experience uh, that that he's going through, and it's like a lot of different emotions in, in one. So. Um, I read part of it, at least, of him, like, squeezing, like, pressing his head in. But it's you, you, very you, hard. Part of it is, like, Roman, Roman is actually doing that, you're saying? like I think at least at, at one point, yes. Maybe not initially. But mm. it looks to me like... And I know, again, he's saying, like, you son of a bitch. But, again, that all kind of felt to me like... I don't know. Also, someone pointed out, which I hadn't even really clocked, like Roman being the only kid that we see Logan physically abuse in the series, being the one who like somehow needs pain associated with like the comfort he's getting from his brother is really sad. So that's my only other sad thought on that scene. Amazing uh, Roman impression, by the way. I just want to (laughs) say, gonna gonna miss the... (laughs) What did I even just say? In you were Roman? like, "You son of a bitch!" You know that was your <laughs> that was your impression of Roman. So, and then that was a good impression of me doing an impression of Roman. Thanks. Really gonna miss. <laughs> really gonna miss. Uh, gonna miss the uh, Kim Renfro impressions here on Decoding TV. Oh. Um, okay, so the other thing I wanted to bring up was so that's kind of the hug, and that's Mark Milad's explanation. You're welcome to have your own explanation. I think it's fairly ambiguous what's going on there. You know, that's another thing that's fairly ambiguous. Um, But it's a rich text and you can read into it what you want. Um, Moving on, another topic is that, uh, like, stuff about Jeremy Strong's performance. Like, what was going on with Jeremy Strong's performance? There is a few details about Jeremy Strong's performance um, that I wanted to discuss. This is from Mark Milad's interview at Vulture with Mad Zoller Sites. Um, So, first of all, there are some questions about the smoothie. (laughs) <laughs> and whether or not Jeremy Strong actually drank that smoothie. And Mark Milet has said the following. So the question was asked, did the smoothie Jeremy Strong ingested contain Sarah Snook's spit, or was there a non-spit version prepared by the props department? 
Uh, and then uh, Mar- Mark Milet answers, quote, Sadly for Jeremy, there were no safe smoothies. We did a lot of takes on that. At least eight, maybe more, where we did a full run because it happened slightly differently each time and it felt like we could do pickup shots. We ran the whole scene from start to finish, including Jeremy finishing it. At a certain point, I gave him the out. I said, listen, I've got you drinking this stuff. You don't need to drink it anymore. But by then, he was so deep in the moment that he couldn't stop himself. By the time I called cut, he would lean over and retch into the kitchen sink. It was so disgusting. The sink in the kitchen was absolutely unbelievable. I'd walk into the (laughs) kitchen and want to throw up because of the smell. For some reason, the alchemy of whatever Sarah was putting into that was really disgusting, including her own spit, end quote. Um, Incredible. Wow. Incredible quote from Mark Mylod about Jeremy Strong drinking this There's so many amazing details about that quote. Uh, The idea that Jeremy Strong wanted to drink it every single time. It didn't matter to him. He's like... Uh, you know, Mark Milo's like, hey, you don't, you don't need to drink it anymore. And he's like, it's, you know, it's okay. I can drink it. And, um, very Jeremy Strong esque, seems like. Uh, and then, uh, and then the idea that, like, it would make him wretch. And so he'd, like, throw up into the sink. And so that you can just imagine there just being the tons smell. of, like, vomit in this scene where they're supposed to be, like, really happy and filming it, you know, over and over again. Um, I thought that was very funny. Uh, and I read this was like this was the last that was the last scene they shot, right? Which yes, true, true. Yeah, it's so nice. I'll just go yeah. rewatch just that scene whenever I want a little smile, and then pretend that nothing else ever happened to any of these people. The other thing is uh, there was some question, like questions about or you know rumors about uh, Jeremy Strong's character Kendall going over the o- over the rail, right? And uh, it, it is in fact the case that he does, uh, uh, he does get up off. Like there was a shot done where he gets up off the bench. Um, quoting Mark Milet from that same interview, he says, "Quote: There is a version where he goes and throws himself in New York Harbor. I personally think it's perhaps even worse than that, and sadder to think that the character continues to live in the purgatory of the unfulfillment of what he feels is his birthright and destiny. That he just lives in the empty can of that unfulfilled promise and hope, and the emptiness of that experience is like a life sentence. I don't feel good for any of them. It's truly a tragic ending. Uh, That was Mark Milad speaking to Vulture. Uh, And then he also gave another... Uh, interview for Variety where he kind of explains uh, the situation where like he talks about filming it. He says, quote, uh, there was, uh, you know, there was a shot where he went over to the water and he says, um, uh, the first thing you do is actually make sure Jeremy Strong was safe. Once we got him back over the railing, we were able to safely continue with the moment because both actors were still in it. Um, and then he he also talks about how like Jeremy Strong walking back into the boardroom after the Sarah Snook scene uh, yeah. was an improvisation, right? That was another thing that was improvised in the show. With um, his so, little tufts of hair mm-hmm. all up. Yeah. Kendall. So, uh, so anyway, a lot of uh, like improvisation, a lot of like Jeremy Strong method acting details basically have come out in the last week and uh, wanted to acknowledge them. So, um, okay. So, yeah, go ahead, Kim. Oh, I was just going to say, like, it does not surprise me that Jeremy Strong made sure at least, or not made sure, but that whether in the moment or whatever, that there was a take of that final scene where Kendall did not survive. Like, that that itself didn't surprise me. Um, but maybe that, like, I don't know, that's such a, the way that Mike, Mark Mylod 
just described like the sort of like purgatory that he would live in if he does indeed continue living is so sad. And it is exactly the inverse of what I had hoped for Kendall. Although also at the same time, it's like, ugh, this is why I love Succession because they gave me what I wanted in terms of like, I didn't really, I did not want Kendall to truly succeed his father. Like I did not want that to be his fate that like he truly continues Logan's full blown like empire legacy. But the fact that the way they made that happen is like somehow even sadder potentially for Kendall that like the best case scenario is that Kendall has like a really sad life forever. Not what I wanted. I want, I'm just going to like imagine some person in the future in this universe who like finds Kendall and befriends him. Maybe Kendall and Stewie. That's where I'm going to keep my brain is that Kendall and Stewie find a way to just be buds forever. That's all. Not a bad, not a bad way to go about it. Um, There's a few other topics that came up last week that I don't think we really had a full opportunity to dive into. And one of them was the kids watching the video, the cell phone video of Logan Roy, right? So before they go to the board meeting, there's a scene where uh, the three main Roy siblings watch a video with Logan and it's Logan behaving in a way that he typically doesn't behave around his children. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Uh, reflecting on that, it was like he Logan Roy is funny. He's joking, you know. He's having warm. a laugh. He's warm. Notably, by the way, Connor is there, and mm. I think like in in some way, it will, we'll I'll talk about that a little bit later in an email. But anyway, I, I I didn't feel like we really. I feel like we may have given that video a little bit of short shrift because we had so many other things to talk about. But um, yeah, I guess uh, the thing that really sticks out to me is how how Logan Roy didn't feel like he had the weight of the world on his shoulders in that video compared to every single time we see him interact with his children. And it's really kind of a testament to, in my opinion, how much he doesn't like his children and doesn't respect them. But I'm curious, Kim, what your thoughts were. Like, if you had any further thoughts on that video. Yeah. Yeah, I it it really did feel like a good example of how painful it is to like see someone who has like hurt or abused or mistreated you or just generally seem to not like your company whatsoever, like glowing and shining in the company of other people when you're not around and like make like, you know, that it's like this vision that that's what life could have been if he had just never had those three children. I guess that's like the pessimistic read on it maybe, or just the realistic read. And then it's also rewatching that, especially a reminder. Because I, I believe it was it in again this Mark Mylod interview. He said that that was supposed to have taken place somewhat recently in the timeline of Succession. I think that's right. It was certainly shot like almost immediately before the kids actually watched it in the show. Yeah, um, but yeah, and that therefore what they're actually seeing is a memory that they might have shared with him if they hadn't been estranged from him the way that they were in like the final months of his life. So yeah, absolutely. Triple sad on that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, yeah. The whole estate sale scene, especially the way that they brought that back full circle in the very very end with Tom. Sticking a sticker on Greg was so good. I love it. Agreed. 
Agreed. Mark Milet also talked about the, the Logan video. Um, and he says, quote, part of the heartbreak of it is that it's a little bit of a callback to episode nine to Shiv's words during her speech of just saying that he kept you away. Logan kept you away, except when he didn't. That's the thing great, big, charismatic people do. When their light shines on you, you feel like you're the only person in the world. And when the gaze turns away, it's all the harder to be left in the cold again. So there's a Mm -hmm. sadness to seeing that side of him that his kids so rarely saw and possibly felt excluded from. I don't think it's the case that he was monstrous only around them. He was quite monstrous of a character for large portions of the story. But all characters, of course, are dimensional. And even Logan had a soft, charismatic, and warm side. So it was lovely to have an instance of that. Hmm. So anyway, that wraps up kind of the main big topics I wanted to mention. The hug, Shiv's decision, those are the big things. But beyond that, there's a bunch of other random things from here and there. Bips and bops. Emails, uh, decodingtv.com comments that I wanted to discuss. And of course, if people in the chat at youtube.com slash decodingtv have any thoughts or reflections or questions, throw them in there and we'll try to talk about them. I'll start us off though, Kim. Um, Why don't I start with this email from Angela, who's writing in about the finale. Angela writes into decodingtv at gmail.com, and I've put the email in comically small font on the screen. But Angela writes into decodingtv at gmail.com, love the recaps and discussions throughout the season. I want to add that one of my favorite things about Succession has been the sibling interactions. Setting Connor aside, sadly, as it is is to always happen, (laughs) I've always felt like this is one of the few shows that gets how adult siblings interact, specifically those siblings who were basically raised to compete with each other. Most of the time, there's the ongoing poking, the little insults, the ongoing cutting down. And since that has been all their lives, a lot of those are completely childish. Um, relatedly, I think the bad impressions of Kendall are just them doing the ones they've done since they were five, making fun of their older brother. The thing is, with siblings like this, there are times you do pull together. You talked about the scenes of the wedding, where they all met at the place, but the scene on the yacht after Rome was kidnapped was also very sibling-like. They got serious for a bit, but then it was too close, and they started making fun of emotions, which felt a lot like siblings who all wanted to be the coolest. Siblings are weird, and having those parents surely wouldn't make it better. Thanks again for the season, Angela, end quote. Great email about siblings and the role of siblings. I think siblings are like a really valuable thing. You know, um, siblings are one of the only people in your life that are with you for virtually every single life stage. Yeah. Um, Most people, like your parents, are with you for the earlier life stages and then they're not there for the later life stages. If you have a partner or a spouse, they are with you for the later life stages. They're not there for the earlier ones. Siblings are the only ones that are there for you for virtually all the stages of your life. It's a very mm-hmm. special role that siblings occupy. And uh, I think that the, the show Succession does do a pretty good job of capturing the uh, co- contradictions that are inherent mm. in the sibling relationship. You're fighting. You want to kill each other. Then you're going to your birthday party. You know, like. Right. Um, you're arguing. Like the election episode and then the funeral. Exactly. Like the limo exactly. ride to the funeral after that election episode. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I thought it captured siblings very well. Kim, I think you're the middle child of three siblings. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 What, what did you think of the show's take on siblings? I agree. I thought that was a great email from Angela there. And it, exactly to your point, um, my uh, an adult relationship with siblings is – something I am so, so grateful to have with both my sisters. Cause you're exactly right. Like the way that 
I can talk about them or update them on things or that they can make observations about me and my life that I might not have connected the dots on because yeah, I've been sharing. I shared a room with my little sister until I was like 13. <laughs> like we like were there for our whole like uh, preteen childhood stage and then all through high school. And then, yeah, now being adults, especially the way that they captured the way that adult siblings are when none of their parents are around, like no parents, no step parent, yeah, yeah. no, um, no, nothing, no adult figures. And like that, you feel that rush of like, Oh, I remember when we were all kids and we just wished we had like money and freedom or a cool house or our own car or whatever. And then like, you get to have those moments when you're an adult and you're like, Oh, look, we're doing it now. We've grown up. And sometimes, sometimes it's a bummer <laughs> to now be an adult and not a kid anymore. But sometimes it's really fun. Me, uh, this is, I'll share one more sibling, sibling story because I think it is relevant to like the vibe that Angela said she picked up off of. But me and my sisters and my parents used to go to Disneyland all the time growing up. Like that was like our like one family vacation destination spot every few years, um, that or camping. And literally just earlier this year for the first time, I'm 33, my little sister's 30, my older sister is like, is 35. We all went to Disneyland for the first time without our parents, without a friend, without a boyfriend, without an acquaintance. Like it was just the three of us. And our motto for the weekend was we can do whatever we want. It was like the first time where like anytime we were like, oh, what do we want to do next? Like we were so used to living in this certain orientation of those vacations where there was always someone else to like think about or consider or what someone might want. And it was like we just had the time of our lives, just the three of us being like, we can do whatever we want. We're all adults now. And we spent so much time here as children, but now things are different. So yes, that makes it even sadder that the Roy children <laughs> can't like that those moments in their lives seem so far and few between is indeed tragic. Indeed. Well, thanks to Angela for the email at decodingtv at gmail.com. I wanted to read this comment from Nicholas. Uh, uh, let me put this up on the screen. Nicholas writing into decodingtv.com says, quote, First of all, let me congratulate you and Kim on another extremely informative and entertaining podcast. Thanks, Nicola. Hey, thanks, Nick. I just have a couple of comments in the final episode. First, I think Shiv's turn was based on her not being able to allow one of her brothers to win. If the roles were reversed and she needed the vote of one of her brothers, one of them would have done the same thing. She didn't want to hand it to Kendall, and her being the last vote put her in an uncomfortable situation. If she would have voted first, she would have voted for him. Now Kendall didn't help his case by putting his feet up on his dad's desk and immediately starting to make the decision, ignoring his two siblings right before the vote. He was unable to play it cool for a couple more minutes. And of course, his argument with Shiv when she walked out sealed the deal. Finally, I also wanted to point out that at the very end, Kendall got his dad's signature shot from behind his head while looking at the board meeting table that we saw at the end of every episode's opening credits. Mm. But instead of being a meeting room full of people... There's absolutely nothing staring back at Kendall. He has nothing. Hopefully he sees this as a blank canvas to build his life from instead of the emptiness, uh, instead of a failure, but I doubt he will show that much maturity. Great work once again. Keep up the good work. Sorry, great show once again. Keep up the good work. End quote. That comes from, from Nicholas. I thought that was a great email. Uh, we already talked about the Shiv decision, but the idea of like, you know, people have pointed out that the very final shot of Kendall behind the bench is from him from behind. And um, that shot of Kendall from the bench from behind, um, that shot is a mirror of, you know, the opening sequence shot where you see Logan from behind. Kendall right. obviously has a lot of water imagery in his uh, personal history. 
uh, the waiter and him went into the water. He almost died because he was on a little floaty on the water, you know, in season, I think it was three, three, um, season two, he was like floating in the pool in a very like Jesus pose on the yacht, like right mm-hmm. before he decided yeah. to turn against Logan again, when he, even at like the season two opening too, he was in some like spa in Iceland and it was like in all these like baths yeah. and pools and stuff a lot. Yes. Kendall and water. He seems very drawn to large bodies of water. Yeah. I, and, I, of, I, and of course, and of course the scene in season four after the living plus presentation, when he goes in the water yeah, and the it, it almost feels like he's, it's kind of the same visual language you'd use for someone who's being reborn. Um, he's yeah. being like subsumed by it, and then at the very final shot, he is no longer in the water. Right, like the the water in this case represents whatever you want it to represent: corporate life, corporate ambi- you know, life ambitions, whatever, uh, yeah. and, and the corrupting influence of those things. You know, whatever you want it to. But um, it is notable that he is above it, and Nicholas's interpretation is that there's nothing in front of him. Um, it could you could also interpret it like the water represents his past life and he's no longer in it anymore. Hmm. I also wondered if they picked that spot because there's so many places he's in. We event. I I know the location was maybe a little unclear right after the premiere, but it's definitely battery park um, where he is. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of places in that whole, basically walking distance from where the Waystar offices are. Fun fact. That's also where the insider it's near where the actual insider offices are in New York city is in that financial district area. Um, and there's a lot of places within walking distance of there that you can look at out the water. I wondered if they picked that spot because the Statue of Liberty, I don't know if it's in that shot, but it's definitely like Kendall would be looking out at the part of the Hudson River and like, right, he's right at the southern tip of Manhattan where you can see the Statue of Liberty. And like, that felt a little potentially meaningful and full circle in terms of Logan's story of traumatically journeying across the sea and eventually getting to i guess they went they were in canada first Mm -hmm. right that's like their backstory but i wondered if there was like added supposed to be added symbolism in there of him like reflecting out not only on this body of water but like this very particularly like historically relevant part of the city in which he is potentially going to live sadly in for the rest of his life i don't know where do you where do you think kendall's gonna go live now is do you think he's gonna remain a penthouse guy yeah in his palatial estate i think um yeah i have one last uh listener message i want to read this one's from susan uh who writes into decoding tv at gmail.com and susan just had a really great breakdown of the stuff i think um i was gonna put this email on screen but it's it's actually really long and i couldn't figure out a way to format it in a way that would fit on screen so i'm just gonna read it to you you'll have to watch me reading it here we go Um, not sure I feel about the last 10 minutes of this finale. There was something missing for me, but I can't put my finger on it. Maybe the last two episodes were just so riveting that the finale felt like kind of a downer, especially since we got a final round of the Sibs almost working together, only for them to sabotage each other again. Connor, Tom, and Greg came off as the biggest winners to me. It's interesting that in the end, Connor seemed to have the closest relationship with Logan. Maybe because he was never in the running to take the crown, and by accepting that he'll never be the heir, Connor was able to have a slightly more normal father-son relationship with Logan. Let me, st- let me, David Chen's stopping the email right now, and and reflect on that. Yeah, there, we got a little, we got a few 
pieces of evidence that that was the case, right? In the final episode, or in the final episodes, um, Logan had talked to Connor about how he wanted to be buried. You know, he hadn't done that with any of the other children. He was in the video that the other kids watched. Um, obviously, Connor now lives in Logan's old house, and so you know, um, who knows if they had any conversations about that? But uh, that does strike me as very plausible that Connor and Logan uh, had the closest relationship, and I would argue one of the more like none of the relationships were good, but it was probably one of the more relatively healthy relationships. Like when Connor finds out that Logan is dead in episode three. You know, Connor has like a very, like the most measured, you know, he says like he he didn't, he never liked me. You know, he starts with like what, it's very sad, but like, but like then he kind of reflects like, I'm sad I didn't have a chance to make him proud. And, you know, and, and then he like immediately turns to like sympathizing with the other siblings. And it felt like the most measured reaction to that news. Anyway, the the, the idea that Remember the night before? When he said he was like a dead plant where love shriveled up inside of him and that everyone else like I think that I think that that was a decision Connor made sure. to like yeah. have the most amicable relationship with his father. I don't know that it was the most healthy. Okay, fair. That's completely fair. Completely fair. <laughs> but okay, yeah, I mean, look, I'm putting together, you know, like I'm not just pulling it out of my butt. Together. I I have some I, I evidence I'm trying to assemble, so. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't dare. No, I, I agree with you that I just, I, if it's the word healthy, I took Okay, you're, you're right. You're right. Healthy's too strong. Healthy's too strong. Yeah. Um, functional? He's the most. Fun- functional? He's like, yeah. Connor is older and seems to have matured into his trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. The younger Roy kids are still very much like running around wounding everybody else with their trauma. All right. Back to uh, Susan's email. So. Connor, Tom, and Greg came off as the biggest winners. Tom and Greg are definitely the OTP of the show, besides maybe Stewie and Ken. I was surprised Stewie never once flaked on Ken. There might be some genuine loyalty between them, which is kind of refreshing. On the opposite end of that is Greg, a cockroach who somehow manages to survive, even when everyone else on his team has been killed off. It's really some kind of superpower at this point. Roman is finally free from this madness. It was heartbreaking to see that hug between him and Ken when they both both kind of realized that Roman needed to be hurt in order to calm down due to all the years of abuse from Logan. Ken went from protector to imitating Logan's brand of control through pain for a minute there, and he looked numb the entire time. Roman at first trying to pull away, but then voluntarily pressing his stitches into Ken's shoulder to open up the wound was tough to watch. Despite all the negative things that went down this episode, though, I think they can still patch things up and be proper siblings if Ken can avoid spiraling back to his old habits. Okay, David Chen stepping out of the email again. Another great interpretation of that. that that's like a very yeah. clear, much clearer interpretation than even Mark Milet had, which is just basically yeah. like Roman was in an escalated uh, mood and he needed to be hurt to be de-escalated. Um, and I really love that Susan's, inter- you know, Susan's interpretation, how she put that. So mm-hmm. um, any, any reaction to that, Kim, before I get to the rest of the email? I just, I completely agree. Okay. Yes. Back to Susan's email. When Ken went towards the elevator, I really thought they were going to show him going up to the roof and contemplate killing himself. Let out a breath of relief when he went downstairs instead, and I was scared once more when I saw him walking towards the water. The final shot of Ken, framed from the back like Logan, but with a scene in front of him, was brilliant. Ken's always been associated with water, and maybe him being out of it also signifies that he's been released from the horrible weight placed on him by Logan at the age of seven. Shiv. 
Don't know what to say about Shiv other than she lives up to her name. She got in one last backstab at the end. Honestly, even though she was the one to make the final decision regarding Waystar, she came off as the biggest loser to me. Not only is she the more subservient one in her loveless marriage, she's also lost her brother. Roman will probably still have a relationship with her, but I can't imagine Ken wanting anything to do with Shiv after what she pulled. By staying with Tom, she's also the only one that's still attached to the Waystar corporate machine, except now she has no power and is just the wife of the puppet CEO. There's no way they are mending their relationship in my opinion. It's far too late and Tom has more affection for Greg than Shiv at this point. It's almost like she switched positions with Tom when you think where they stood with each other at the uh, when you think about where they stood with each other at the beginning of the series, I can see her becoming a Marsha in the future while Tom finds his own carry. Overall, this is a really great show with brilliant acting all around. I hope we get to see these characters again. I also had a great time listening to your podcast. Can't wait for the final wrap up. End quote. Well, Susan, you've now become final part of the final wrap up uh, <laughs> in, in brilliant fashion. Um, and yeah, so Shiv, we, uh, we haven't really talked about how sad Shiv's situation. I mean, we talked a, bit, a little bit about it, but yes, Tom, Tom's job sucks. He's going to be a puppet CEO. It's not a great role. And Shiv is kind of his, um, CEO's, the CEO's wife, you know, she, he, she has yeah. this child that she doesn't really want to have, but she feels like she needs to stay in the situation to be in control. One of the things that was most interesting to me about succession was learning that, my understanding uh, mm-hmm. is that Sarah Snook didn't know that she was pregnant until they had started filming, was my understanding. That was, I, I read that somewhere that might be inaccurate, but whatever the case, whether, what, putting aside when she actually learned, um, they had to write the pregnancy. In, they, they had to figure out what to do with the pregnancy. They had to decide, Got are it. we going to write the pregnancy into the show? Do we try to hide it? Like, is Sarah Snook always just going to be standing behind large objects like they do with, like, yeah. How I Met Your a Mother lot. or whatever? Yeah, tons yeah. of shows do that. Sort of like laundry basket, big coat. And I just want to give... <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to give... Um, I just want to give a big shout out to the writers and to Sarah Snook, who like you know obviously incorporated this into the show. Uh, that not only did they incorporate it seamlessly into the show, but it is now impossible to imagine the finale without that element, right? Like yeah. that, that element is such a key part of that character's fate that it is it, it gives it so much more gravitas and an emotional wallop. Uh, that the fact that the, you know they had to like adapt to the situation yeah. uh, is just makes it more impressive in my opinion. Totally. So, anyway, the only I, other thought yeah. that 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 email just raised in terms of Kendall again, I just had one more water thought, which is that water can be very healing to people, and particularly people dealing with like mental and physical trauma apparently. And I also think that that has something to do with Kendall seeming drawn to like oceans and floating and this sense of like, I think that for him, it's like a dissociation thing almost. And so the idea of Kendall, like, I'm glad he didn't go into the water in the finale, but like the idea of him just always like sitting and like listening to bodies of water for the rest of his life could be a little contentment for Kendall. I'm just going to sit, I'm going to keep that little nugget in my head too. Okay, moving on. All right. Well, those those are the main messages I wanted to read. Like, we got a bunch of emails at decodingtv@gmail.com and a few comments. But like those, you know, if, if we did them, this episode would last hours. Um, uh, we there's a few comments I want to discuss in the YouTube chat, Kim. But I, before we do that, I wanted to see if there's anything else that you wanted to discuss. 
I just, I maybe more quotes, or should we? Let's we could save quotes for the end, per tradition. I just, there was as I was rewatching, I was finally like actually writing down quotes. Slash, I've seen just so many like great memes, but in particular, Shiv calling Tom and saying like, "Are there any positives about the nightmare we've shared?" <laughs> Feels like a very like. 2020 i'm just gonna say that to everyone for the rest of 2020 when i instead of asking how'd you, how'd your year go oh how have you been are there any positives about the nightmare we've shared by existing for the last uh, seven months who knows it's a, it's a good one definitely one i think about a lot <laughs> um, but yeah uh so let's see carl in the chat writes this comment my biggest issue with the last 10 minutes was that Shiv's turn on Kendall, while dramatically authentic, felt discordant after the whole meal for a king sequence, end quote. A lot of people did react in this way, too. Like, the meal fit for king was like, oh, everyone's having a great time. This is hilarious. We've never seen the siblings like this. Only for Shiv to then betray Kendall in such brutal fashion. Um, I, I did see some reactions that this felt like a little bit uh, tonally discordant. And I'm curious mm-hmm. um, if you had any... Thoughts on that or for for me, I, I actually think, you know, you covered it pretty well during the main episode, Kim, uh, when you said like this is a thing that they have done before or, or like the meal fit for a king feels like something they've it, it feels like they're referring to it as a thing they've actually done before. And it mm-hmm. does feel like they have had that dynamic in the past. It's not just they're like, hey, we're going on a, you know, this bout of mania and, and doing this wild stuff it it feels like hey they're kind of relapsing to a time when they had this cordial relationship right yeah and that that vibe that hits i don't know they're on vacation presumably their phones aren't going off the hook nonstop. it's the middle of the night their mom kind of like came in to like shush them i feel like it made sense to me that they're that the emotional authenticity we're seeing from them in that scene is going to be different than when they are back in Manhattan, back in their silver tower, back with all of their suits on and they're doing this big important. Like, I think that that's the point is that they could have a perfectly pleasant and amicable adult relationship with one another, but everything that they have built their lives around is an anathema to that. So, like, of course, once they're in that boardroom situation and once as we kind of, like, walked through, like, that escalation of emotions that happens from the point that Shiv sees Kendall already, like, assuming that role. I don't know. I I think it's too simplified to say that it was just resentment or jealousy. I also think that she's right that, like, they pushed her out first of that trio. And, like, I don't think that both of her brothers would have done the same if she had somehow managed to convince them that it was her. So as we've been saying, I think it's like this massive swirl of a lot of different mounting tensions, both from like the very first season to now, or just from like within the episode itself, like the escalation of information that we see. And it, yeah, I'm like, of course it feels different because she is, all of them are behaving differently towards one another in that glass room than they were in the kitchen right? They're all being in their own ways, emotionally inauthentic and deceptive with one another because none of them seem to be able to actually get their lives together in that moment, which is why none of them should be their father's successor because he did not raise like emotionally whole, competent adult children. 
rage little trauma monsters. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Jeff in the chat says, uh, the meal fit for a king always had abusive overtones. Testing Kendall to see how much shit he will drink to gain their approval. Mm. Yeah, I felt like a little bit of like a little hazing, you know? Yeah, a I, little I don't know salt. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say abusive. I don't know if I'd say abusive, but certainly like, you know, physically punishing, you know, I don't know. Um, Sure. I mean, none of them know how to express like pride and gratitude for (laughs) one another and without bleeding, hurt, mean words, sarcasm. Like how many times have they all like brushed aside a like genuine effort of like, Hey, how you doing? Or, hey, love you, man. Or, oh, this is sad. You know, they're all emotionally frozen. And that's why it's a tragedy. <laughs> Indeed. Well said. <laughs> well said. All right. Well, oh, start- also another thing, another thing I wanted to clock that I didn't catch the first time around was Kendall. Because I watched it with subtitles on the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, or with captions. Subtitles? Uh, either one they are different things those are right (laughs) but you know yeah you could use either one to refer to you know what I mean yes but it was in Barbados Kendall asks Roman if he wants a rum punch when he's like drinking and I was like yeah Kendall's definitely like again just in terms of like thinking about these characters now that we've left them but like leaving Kendall in a non-sober non-professionally good non-familial good space at the end of all this yeah like i said tragedy also him saying another favorite moment that i don't think i fully appreciate the first time through was when he's pouring water for his uncle ewan at the board meeting Mm -hmm. and he says like new york's finest and it's just tap water but i was like that is a great way to serve tap water because new york city tap water is freaking delicious like if you're ever in new york just put a glass under any tap and it'll be fine. And that is not the case everywhere that you go in this country. So another thing I'll just carry with me is referring to fresh tap water as New York's finest. Oh, wait, I can't hear you all of a sudden. Yeah, I was on mute. Hello. I, I, think, <laughs> I think we're wrapping up here, but um, I did want to point out if you're tuning in live and listening live, um, uh, thanks for t- joining us. You can s- subscribe to the podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. We'll be covering shows like Black Mirror, The Bear, and Silo in the weeks to come. And if you're listening to this and you want to watch live in the future, subscribe at youtube.com slash decodingtv. This is going out to people in both audiences. There were a couple final thoughts I wanted to reflect on as we wrap up because this is probably – the last time we're going to talk about the show, unless we do like a rewatch podcast sometime down the line. But um, I do think there's been like a lot of discussion about Succession's ratings as mm. uh, as time has gone on. Um, mm. So I think, Kim, um, you know, you and I are like very into the world of media and uh, TV Twitter and film Twitter and media Twitter and so on. And yeah. to us, it often seems like Succession is the biggest show on television, right? <laughs> you yeah. know, like it's one of the biggest things on TV. In fact, uh, the night of the finale, only 2.9 people streamed 
or watched live the Succession series finale. Um, That is a... I'm sorry, the series four finale. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me let me yeah. say that again. Only two point nine people watch the series finale, which 2.9 is a million. two point nine million. <laughs> Just two. I cannot get this right. I cannot get this right. Um, two point nine million people streamed or watched the series finale of Succession on the Sunday night that it aired. That is a significant increase over. Uh, the series three finale, which had uh, 1.7 million viewers, so there was oh. a, clearly like interest in the show grew over time, and uh, people, uh, you know, found the show as it was streaming on HBO Max and so on and so forth. Yeah, um, Kim, 44 million people watched an average episode of House of the Dragon. <laughs> That is a staggering number and significantly more than succession. Um, so, yeah, it's just... That it does kinda, surprise me. It kind of puts it... Because I, I will say the amount of writing I've seen on succession is comparable, if not more, than what I've seen for House of the Dragon. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, which is indicative of its subject matter, right? Like, yeah, yeah. T- to your point of of how you started this is that... If you're in that world, to me, that's like, it's a very like, uh, that's when my anthropologist brain like ticks on is I'm like, of course, like people, like all of like the meta writing or meta commentary on the thing that's happening, I think is very valuable just for like our record of historical meaning, especially with this digital media age that we're in and how quickly it changes. Like the fact that the show was airing at a time when the industry it's writing about was in such a tumult and the way that it like stayed pretty consistent on certain themes or types of real people that we're seeing in the world and leaders or lack thereof. Yeah. But it is, that is a staggering, a staggering statistic. Yeah. Yeah. And just, I also today I was going to rewatch an episode and I like wit, I had to log into max dot com for the first time and i don't sound sound so happy about it but okay yep i had to i had to just type in succession after Mm -hmm. a while i could not find it on the landing page to click through to and i even when i went to their little hbo thing and i was like this is a series a series finale like just ended you're not going to tout this like anywhere on the homepage. so maybe that tracks with like no one they they gave me a pop-up for magic mike the third, what's the third one called? Last again? Dance. Last, last dance. dance. I got a pop-up ad to make sure I did not miss Magic Mike's Last Dance, but I could not find Succession on the homepage anywhere. And I, have, I love Succession, so that's a shame. I have a lot of feelings about it, uh, like a lot of different contradictory, or not contradictory, like unrelated feelings about it. Number one, mm-hmm. uh, I think this was one of the best shows on television, and it's sad that not like so few people watched it overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that probably explains why the show is not continuing. It looks like an incredibly expensive show uh, and it won a lot of awards, but it probably got more expensive as time went on. The Emmy winning cast wants a bigger check every year and so on. And so uh, it, it's on the one hand, it's like, wow, it's extraordinary, Kim, that. We were blessed to be alive when this show was airing. What an amazing experience. What an amazing experience talking about it with you and with our listeners at Decoding TV. 
And I feel very blessed to have been able to experience the show with everyone. And also, so few people did experience the show, and that's a bummer. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, more like tons more people watch Yellowstone and other shows like that. Um, and, and other shows, but, like, the thing is, and I think uh, Emily St. James broke this down really, really well in a recent Twitter thread that I saw, but basically, like, certain shows lend themselves well to weekly recaps. Yeah. And certain shows don't. And Succession is one of those shows that does reward in-depth deep diving. And yeah. a lot of other shows don't, in my opinion, you know? Uh, yeah. And we can agree or disagree as to what those shows are, but, like, not every show warrants a weekly recap, but Succession was one of them. And I'm glad we got to watch together, and I'm bummed that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, not that many people were watching. But yeah. the the media attention on it made it feel like tons of people, were, like, everyone was watching it, and that just wasn't the case. Um, so it's just important to keep perspective sometimes, I think. Indeed. Uh oh, there you know there was one other thing that Mark Milad said that I wanted to acknowledge. Um, and maybe we can wrap this up here, Kim. Unless you have a, a, something else you want to bring up. Um, uh, you know, maybe if it's you what I up. think you're about to say, then yes, this sounds like a great way to wrap things up. I don't think it. I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't put it in the show notes, so I don't think it's what you think I'm going to say. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that one of the issues with Succession was oh. Kim, did your camera fall down? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kim's camera just fell. We're we're just going to keep all this in, you know, so you know what it's like to actually record this show. Um, but uh, am I back? What, what happened to me? You're back. You're good. You're good. Um, one of my complaints about the show was that it did get a little bit repetitive over time, and I am really glad they ended it because I don't know that I really would have greatly enjoyed another season of who's going to be in charge of Gojo and is it going to be you? And do we have the board seats again? You know, like I, I don't know that that would have been as enjoyable yeah. to me the fifth time around. Yeah. But in an interview with Vulture, Matt Zolosice asks Mark Mila, these characters keep shooting themselves in the foot over and over, but in a slightly different part of the foot each time. Um, these, there are people who want more forward motion, I think, is the question that Mark Zolosice asked of Mark Mila. Like mm -hmm. people like David, he's talking about people like David Chen. He doesn't, Matt Solosites barely knows who I am. I mean, I, I, I like, you know, we've talked and stuff, but, but you know, he, people like me are the people who want the forward motion. Okay. Mark Mylid responds, quote, most dramas work on the idea of an evolution of a change, a sense of dramatic progression. And ours does exactly the opposite. The tragedy and by an odd extension, the alchemy of comedy comes from stasis. It comes from the tragedy that these four siblings can never escape the gravitational pull of their father despite their best efforts. Every time they try, they fail and find themselves back in the same place. So there is an essential tragedy to that. For our audience to stay with them while they, with a huge degree of futility, try yet another harebrained scheme to escape that gravitational pull, fail yet again, and find themselves exactly back where, it start, where they started, it doesn't sound like the most compelling pitch, does it? And yet, I suspect that somehow, through the brilliant writing and brilliant acting, we have achieved that, end quote. He's got a point. Do you think they achieved it? I, I think they did, but I think it, it was really, like, if they had gone on for two more seasons, they might have not achieved it. You know what okay. I'm saying? Okay, because I think they did. And I feel like yeah. you're on the edge of thinking maybe they they pulled it a little too far. But I do, I agree. And I also, I wrote down, I think, what he said shortly after that in the same interview where he talks about hope. And that's what I thought you were going to, that's what I thought you were going to quote. Cause that was actually my favorite part 
of his take on this. And I think it helped like clarify sort of like the way that I had been watching the show, but it had maybe never quite articulated, but like, do you want to read the quote or do you have it? I, I have yeah. it. I have it. If you, okay. If you read. read it. I'll read it. So the, fo- the next question is how do you thread that needle of continuing to surprise people and be fresh, but not stray too far from what viewers already know they, uh, they like and want, especially when the characters are ultimately a bunch of wily coyotes who can't help falling into the Canyon. And Mark Milet says, quote, isn't it about hope? Isn't it hope that the characters will learn in the same way one watches a soccer game? I'm a big soccer fan. When I watch, I really hope that Liverpool defense will have learned not to get caught up on the Swift's counterattack. This time it'll be different, and I'll watch with passion and further. Then be heartbroken afresh. Uh, f- passion and fervor. Then be heartbroken afresh when the defense makes exactly the same mistake again. When you are invested in the characters, the team, whatever it may be, it's the classic triumph of hope over experience. End quote. Yeah. That's what it's all about, man. <laughs> but really, I I think I think I loved that because I was like the 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 triumph of hope over experience. Like that's that was me heading into season 4 of the show, right? Was like I somehow still with these characters was in a headspace of being like I have some optimism that it is possible for people like this. People like these messed up complicated charismatic fun to watch characters that i've been watching for all this long like it i i truly felt like it was possible for them to transcend what had happened to them in their lives and the choices that they had already made the guilt that they were holding in about a lot of that the shame that is like cloaked in so much of this and that hope was not ultimately uh, rewarded but i don't regret having the hope because that's what it's like. That's that's what humans survive on. Like if we just I, watch everything. Look, I, sorry. And now I'm. I shouldn't say like. There's now. It's not about like watching or not watching the TV correctly. But I just mean that that landed for me as to like why the repetitiveness had not quite irked me to the point of like, okay, I'm totally over this yet. And it is because the writing and the performances and the way that it was shot and I think the way that they did sort of like once I could feel like they were like just slowly circling the drain basically on everything. It's, I don't, I don't know. I I do appreciate that. And I think that they succeeded in a way that it would have been really hard for a lot of other creators to do right now. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, Okay. Well, Carl in the chat says salient point, but I think having a definitive endpoint allowed them to move the plot forward vis-a-vis letting Roman, uh, I'm sorry, letting Logan Roy die. And I, I agree that yeah. was like the the season four felt like it had a, it, it, it's a brilliant season. You know, it takes many episodes take place in real time. Like it takes place over the course of like two weeks. It's a really just amazingly put together piece of work. Um, yeah. I think it's a little bit of a false equivalence, Kim, in the sense that I think that it's possible to have characters who are tragic and trapped in their own circumstances mm-hmm. without literally repeating the exact same the dynamics, exact same right? right like without like literally it's kendall trying to get um the board to vote for him again literally yeah. it's him trying to take over the company you know, you know like have them move on do other things with their lives come back to the you know like um 
Yeah. And, and anyway, I, I I don't know. I, I think it's a little bit of a false equivalence. Uh, True, that, like, like truly the, beating their head against the exact same wall. Exactly. Not even like, like, the exa- oh, they're like just the, bouncing around a room. It's- right. Right. That's <laughs> what they're going off doing. Their, you know, their lives are taking. Like the that's why the most interesting part of season one was was um, Shiv, Shiv having a whole different. Political, she had a whole yeah. different career, and like that could have been interesting to have her come. You know, like, but it yeah. feels like they just abandoned that. And in fact. Um, you can see that they they kind of abandoned that because they changed the opening credits of the show, right? Like in, you remember mm-hmm. season two, they incorporated Shiv into the opening credits because they're like, "This is going to be a player in this show," right? Like, and yeah. so they're like, "Oh, we want this dynamic to happen." And the siblings are amazing with each other, but it did feel it did start to get stale and repetitive over time. And I think if they had, you know, um, like. Uh, gone in d- more different directions or done different things and then come back or or there had been non-Logan related plot lines. Can you imagine like a post-Logan season yeah. of the show? Like that might have been interesting. You know, so like um, I think it's a false equivalence. All that being said, all that being said, I want to reinforce again that I do think the show is absolutely brilliant. It's mm. been an absolute pleasure to cover it with you, Kim Renfro. I'm so grateful to our paid members at DecodingTV.com who are keeping this podcast alive. I pay every person I work with. Like, this is not um, Kim just donating her time for free. Like, I pay (laughs) – everyone I work with, I pay. Like, we have videos online that are edited. I pay people who edit the videos. Like, and that could not happen if it wasn't for the paid members at DecodingTV.com. So I want to thank everyone who has – uh, been a paid member at DecodingTV.com. I want to thank Kim Renfro again. Um, I want to thank David Cho for doing bonus episodes with me, which were a blast uh, this whole season. Uh, so, yeah, th- this is, you know, this is the end of of an era for me watching the show, talking about it, and I want to acknowledge everyone who has made it possible. So thank you so much. And, um, and the show has been amazing. Like, I- yeah. I've had qualms with it. I've shared... You know, criticisms, but overall, it's one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. And I'm going to re- look forward to rewatching it many more times during the course of my life. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for letting me be part of this end bit with you, too. It's, I, it's really been amazing to get to talk in depth about the show in its final, se- final season. I almost said final series. That's not what this is. You know what I mean? I appreciate you very much. Feelings mutual. It's been delightful. I don't. I don't remember if when we start. Like I remember, like calling you and pitching you on the idea of doing this with me, and I don't remember if at the time we knew it would be the final season. Like, because I, I remember. I that don't news, think we knew. I, I think yeah. that news came out like a couple weeks before the season premiere, yeah. and then that's when we that's when we found out. But yeah, I think it was like probably like you know a couple months before the season began that I we talked about us doing it together. So yeah. Um. Anyway, it worked out. It worked out. Well, you can find more Not episodes. a tragedy. <laughs> you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at decodingtv. There was a question earlier about um, how do people know if we're going live. Follow us at youtube.com slash decodingtv. Sign up. To, you can like check off the bell icon. You can get notifications. You will be notified when we go live. Um, so that's how you get notified if we're going live and, uh, we go live every week, every week we go live, uh, record this week in streaming. Okay. Also, Carl asks what next for you, what's next for you guys? Secret invasion. Secret invasion is definitely something we're considering. 
but we're definitely going to be covering The Bear. We're definitely going to be covering Black Mirror. We're definitely going to be covering Silo. So check out the Decoding TV podcast feed for that. Kim Renfro, thanks again. Any closing thoughts as we finish this up? Keep hope alive, people. That's all. All right. Thanks. <laughs> A huge thanks to Kim Renfro. I suspect this won't be the last time we work together, but... I'm grateful to Kim Renfro for making this podcast what it was this season. And again, a huge thanks to David Cho. Uh, really appreciate his work as well. Okay. Uh, we'll see you uh, late, late next week for some thoughts on Black Mirror. Until then, keep it tuned in to Decoding TV. Goodbye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 